Welcome to episode 13 of Right Where You're Sitting Now. Um, we're a bit late with this one because of some technical problems we had. But uh, I'm joined today by... Uh, oh Jesus, I can't believe he's back. Yeah, I am back. <sighs> Jesus, it's been, what, six episodes, seven episodes? Yes, it was since the Nick Pope <laughs> episode, which I have to say was it was a success. What, the Nick Pope episode? Yeah, it was for me. <laughs> so, much, so much was a success that you uh, didn't turn up for six episodes. <laughs> I have some technical problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear me. We've got uh, Taylor Elwood on the show today. He's an occult author, um, general nice guy. We like him a lot. Um, talking about alternative ways of doing magic. So if you listen to the Long Milo Duquette episode, this one's a bit of a different take on this. Well, sort of different take on the same subject. There's so many alternatives to, to magic. Yeah. Many of them. Yep, the chaos magic sometimes, but uh, I don't think he likes it to be called chaos magic generally, does he? Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, what's coming up? Yeah, we we completely lied about Claire being on this week. It's going to be next week, so uh, due to technical difficulties, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a story of our life, really. Uh, so, what have you been up to, Paul? I haven't been up too much. It's, uh, it's summer. It's summer. So the uh, the happiest season of the year is it? <laughs> Paul's been completely broke. Yeah, utterly that, broke. That was that was my technical difficulty. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. All right. Well, um, it's quite a long interview, so I guess we'll cut this short. If you want to contact, oh no, check out the new website. That's the other thing. God, I forgot the thing. Yeah. We've, got, we've got a brand new swanky you mean, website. You mean you didn't blag about it yet? No, no. It's uh, it's only went up this week, though, isn't it? But yeah, we've got a uh, big thanks to James Burton, who does our website for us, and check his website out at erraticsouls.com. He does. Um, if you need help with WordPress, he'll like, pimp it up like he did for ours and sort out problems. He's really, really good. Um, check out, there's a link on the front page on the bottom right-hand side somewhere. A big thing that says, need help with WordPress. If you need help with WordPress, check that out. It's really good. And uh, what do you think of the new website, Paul? I'm very, very impressed. You are? Yeah, I am. It's good, isn't it? Plus, like it. it just, it was very good from just all of a sudden. It wasn't a gradual change. Yeah, bang. Yeah, it was like that. <laughs> it was bang. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, uh, yeah, so check out the website at sittingnow.co.uk or sittingnow.com. We've got every base covered. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Come on 
the show, ma'am. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, that's good. Uh, could you give the uh, audience that might not have heard of you a bit of a uh, biography of yourself, please? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm a life coach. I'm also a occult author. I've been writing since 2003, at least published work, and uh, most of my work is focused on experimental occultism and magic. And uh, ranging from subjects such as pop culture magic to space-time magic to internal alchemy uh, to uses of multimedia and magic. And I'm currently doing uh, work on the concept of identity and consciousness and what role those concepts play in magic, part of my continuing inner alchemical work. Ah, nice. Nice one. So can you actually tell us like, how you got into magic? Like, what, what was your kind of, uh, what brought you into the kind of the subject and the, the kind of area of magic? Well, I got into magic uh, in a roundabout way, sort of. I had always enjoyed reading fantasy books as uh, a young child and uh, had always thought it would be really cool to toss a fireball at somebody that <laughs> ticked me off. And uh, to, this, to this day, I still haven't gotten that one down. But uh, It takes a while, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, does. It, really, it really does. But I... Uh, had ran into this kid in high school. I, had, at the time, was a born-again Christian, but I still enjoyed reading fantasy books and was told by the born-again Christians that I was going to go to hell if I kept reading those uh, fantasy books. But I ran into this kid who was a bully, and he sat me down, and he decided to tell me about this journey he had into the astral, uh, astral dimension and you know his encounter with the demon. He was trying to freak me out because he noticed I liked reading fantasy books. And... I calmly looked at him and told him to bring in material the next day for me to read, and he kind of blinked. He was really surprised. But the next day, he brought uh, he brought some pamphlets, and I started reading, and I told him to get me some more books. And that's what got me into magic, because that was what I had always really been interested in. And the whole born-again Christianity just kind of flew right out the window. I wasn't <laughs> too satisfied with uh, putting authority in some sky god who uh, would would bully me if i didn't do what he wanted me to do <laughs> that's interesting actually because uh, when we interviewed lon milo duquette he was saying that he came from a kind of uh, quite strict kind of christian background and uh you often find that that's kind of a uh something that happens to people that get into magic later on um they tend to have come from a kind of really disciplined christian background do you reckon that's a fair statement or well, yeah, I would say that's true for the most part. I mean, you're you're starting to see a difference now that you have families that are are pagan that have second generation or even third generation, you know, people growing up yeah. uh, who practicing. But for the most part, you still have a lot of people who've come to it, you know, uh, as a result of being dissatisfied with whatever religion they were growing up in. And I I, I think that in some ways it'll be interesting to see what happens a couple generations down the line where people have grown up with it and what they end up doing, whether they go to Christianity. Yeah. You know, you never know. It'd be kind of interesting to see. That'd be interesting. So um, when you say you're into magic, I mean, there's loads of different types of magic, and I've noticed that you seem to be more into the minus the K magic, <laughs> regular kind of magic. I don't know. what there's, There seems to be a different, load of different types, and we haven't really discussed this on um, on the show before, and I thought you might be a good person to talk to. Um, there's like magic with a K, yeah. <laughs> and then there's like chaos magic and stuff like that. Wh- which branch are you into, and like, could you explain the differences a little bit? Well, magic with a K, uh, the K is really just a pretension by Crowley. It's it doesn't really there's there's not really any difference unless of course you, you tend to think that Crowley has a particular particular brand of of magic. Um, 
I'm I'm kind of I, I have a background. Uh, I, I first started out with a combination of neo shamanism and hermeticism, mm. and you know slash ceremonial magic. And a lot of my a lot of my approach to magic is still informed by those two schools and and by other forms of Western magic, a la Franz Barton and William G. Gray and uh, Yulia Savola. Mm. Um, I also uh, I also have some something of a background in chaos magic, and I often have people attempt to label my approaches to magic as chaos magic, which is incorrect because while I draw on concepts of chaos magic, I also draw on a lot of other approaches, and I'm, and I don't see I don't see my approaches being strictly a, a chaos magic format, and I kind of I kind of look at chaos magic as being two different. Two, having two defining characteristics for it. One, you have the, the sigils and the entities that people create. And then two, you have the, the paradigm of piracy where people will take different forms of different b religious beliefs and conveniently adopt them for a day or a week or whatever and, and say, well, I'm going to use that as long as it's convenient. And that's, that's it's an interesting approach, but it's not quite how I uh, approach things. In ceremonial magic, of course, you have a lot of it steeped in, in Christian mythology and and beliefs, and uh, I've I've kind of I've kind of taken my approach to ceremonial magic away from that and adapted it more toward contemporary uh, contemporary culture, such as pop culture. Yeah. My my own approach to magic, I kind of I kind of call it experimental magic, and it's it's basically defined on on the concept that really magic needs to go beyond its its roots at this point. We need to still acknowledge those root roots. In fact, I one of my one of the things that I encourage anybody who writes about magic to do is make sure that they actually cite their sources, mm, which yeah. is uh, commonly something not done. Yeah, yeah. By annoying. majority of authors, uh, I am one of the few authors that does. But um, I like to draw on other disciplines outside of magic and kind of combine that with the, the concepts and techniques and practices of magic. As an example, I draw on literacy theory, semiotic theory, physics, neuroscience, things like that, and put them together and use that to create a, a, a system of spiritual practice that can be used to you know, help people do whatever they want to do. The other thing uh, about my own approach to magic is that I also draw on a lot of Far Eastern practices, particularly Taoist Dao uh, breathing techniques and meditation, and some Tibetan techniques and practices as well. And I think that uh, I think that's really important because an interesting aspect about Western magic, in general, chaos and ceremonial magic, is that you don't really have a lot of internal internal workings or meditations. You have a lot of path working, you've got a lot of symbols, you've got a lot of focus on working with the external world, not so much of a focus on working with the internal world. And so I've taken to working with the Taoist uh, the, uh, practices and meditations as a way to balance that out mm. and focus a little bit more on the internal reality uh, and of course, I've got some other practices I do. I do a year-long elemental elemental ritual working and and some other stuff. But it kind of has wandered away from your question about how to differentiate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think really what it comes right down to it is that to me, magic seems to be defined more so by the experiences and 
choices that a person makes than by any theory that a book propounds. And I, I'll tell you, it's interesting because I actually wrote two chapters on the definitions of magic and mm -hmm. multimedia magic, looking at bad definitions, both academic and occult, and good definitions, again, academic and occult. And at the end, I pretty much just said, you know, in the end, what's most important is that you come up with your own definition, which is better than any definition offered in a book. And, and that's the truth of it, because magic as a practice isn't really something that's codified that much. And I think that's a good thing. And if it does get too codified, then you then you start to go into the territory of religion yeah, yeah. and fundamentalism and dogma. And that's not something that that magicians would really want no no i think uh, again that's something we spoke to um it wasn't actually in the interview but we were talking to lon milo duquette about people that kind of join the oto for, ex for example and they kind of expect it to be a kind of uh i guess like a really top down kind of thing where they're kind of told what to do but they soon learn that it's not <laughs> basically not that at all but uh I think a lot of people think that about magic don't they they kind of think that it's kind of a like a cult i guess rather than a, a kind of self kind of improvement i guess for a better use for a better word of self uh, exploratory kind of process well and some of that some of that again comes down to some of those bad definitions of magic you mm. you have for instance the academic legacy particularly a lot of the works pre pre or pre 2000 you have a lot of really bad definitions which are based more on a, a cultural ethnocentric view and perspective where you have these anthropologists going in and saying well these these pr these primitives don't know what they're really doing and mm. magic doesn't work even in even in and even in cases where they look at modern cultures where there there's magic they go in with the notion as, as Tanya Lerman did uh, that well magic doesn't really work and why are these people continuing these practices well there's there's a real problem with that when you go in with that belief that magic doesn't work you have to be open to entertaining the possibility that it could work yeah yeah you don't have to you don't have to believe that it could work but you have to be open to the possibility that it could work yeah and that's something that a lot of academics uh, up until recently really haven't done well and so i think that you you kind of have that stereotype and in mainstream culture, you even have some cases where, with, with occult practices, where you have some pretty poor definitions. I mean, I, I've seen some where people will say, well, you know, you don't need to know how magic works, and then the very next sentence they'll say, you know, you should share your experiments with others. Well, how are you going to share your experiments with others if you don't know how magic works, yeah. if you can't explain how it works? I mean, there's, there's a fundamental flaw there. Mm. And... Uh, and then, you know, you also have some people that advocate a very dogmatic approach to magic, and that also can be kind of horrible. <laughs> One thing I was reading recently, I was rereading um, The Middle Pillar, I think it's called, by Israel Regardi. And mm -hmm. um, he has a really interesting kind of idea with, that I kind of, kind of agree with to an extent, which is that in some ways, magic in... It's kind of... I need to word this right. Magic is kind of similar to psychiatry in some ways and psychology it kind of um it could just be like an earlier older version of uh psychiatry in some ways it, the symbols unlock certain mental processes and would you agree with that in any way like it, it kind of is maybe like an older alternative way of getting to these kind of uh things within your consciousness that perhaps you know psychiatry does but perhaps in a different way <laughs> if that makes sense to you i probably didn't word that very well well i think 
I think that's one function of magic. I think that there's there's a, a peril with that particular line of thought, though, which you see in a lot of chaos magic, which is that magic that all magic is just psychological. Mm. And you, you know, you see that also in Crowley, where well, working with the Goetia is just is just a psycholo- You know, these are just psychological constructs. Well, there's that possibility that they could be, but there's also the possibility that those spirits are actually real. Yeah, and I think that that while Regarde and Crowley and and Chaos Magic provide a valuable perspective in on the idea of psychology and magic and you know the the access of these internal resources, and I think that there's there's some truth to that if you look at you know the fact that gods represent different attributes different concepts for us and, and they're, they're a way to access those deep structures for us. I also think that it's really important to temper that with a recognition that, hey, these beings could actually be real and could mm. have a separate existence as well. And I, I've seen, uh, I, I've seen uh, a few times magicians who've kind of just taken the psychological approach and then been really surprised when they found out, oh, wait a minute, this stuff is actually a lot more real than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I've got a book. I'm just looking up at it on my bookshelf now. Hang on one second. Uh, it's the Goetia, the, the Lesser Keys of uh, Solomon, the actual, you know, the kind of guidebook, I guess, that's released. And um, it's really interesting. It has pictures that Crowley drew of all the different Goetian spirits, and uh, it's strange how <laughs> how that actually. I don't think he'd seen a lot of the images, had he, uh, when he originally started doing it, and he sort of sketched down the images of these individual spirits and demons or whatever. And um, he's, in this book, they put them together, like his interpretations and these older, way older interpretations of the of the spirits. And it's quite interesting how, like, if they are meant to be just purely psychological, how similar these two images look in some cases. It's kind of uh, so it definitely lends credence to what you were just saying. It's kind of uh, kind of spooky, almost actually. <laughs> Well, I also I've also found in my experiences that you know these with with the different spirits that they that they grow and they develop and they change with the times and our concepts. You know, you yeah. you look at a, a spirit that represents the concept of fire. Yeah. Well, for primitive people, fire was a very important force. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward that to two, three thousand years later, and that's that, that being is going to change because the sophistication is going to change. Now, the question you have to ask is, okay, has that being changed as a result of the people's interaction with fire, or has that being changed because that being changed those people's interaction with fire by showing them mm, yeah. different applications? Yeah. And that's something you talk about in your books, or at least in the stuff I've read so far, is about um, these kind of archetypes that you can... Um, almost, I can't really think about the way of saying it. Uh, you can, if you say, uh, it, for example, in the Viking Youth interview you did, you were talking about how if you show these kind of uh, spirits or gods, or um, I think you were talking about racing, weren't you? Uh, horse racing, I think. And uh, you're saying if you show these spirits the, the the losing tickets, then the way they interpret winning changes or something. I don't know, <laughs> kind of, if I'm saying that question right. Well, or not. yeah, it's going to change because you're giving them you're giving them a perspective. You're giving them a human perspective. Yeah, they have a different they have a different concept. I mean, and, and that's kind of where the psychological view goes wrong too. Because psychologically, how are you going to get inside of a god's head yeah. or a demon's head? <laughs> yeah, you know that they have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. 
the closest you really get to getting inside their head is through the act of invocation, which actually goes both ways. You can invoke them into you, but you can also invoke yourself into them. Yeah, but when you do that, you, you, get a different, you do get a different perspective. And that perspective isn't necessarily human, and it's not based on human values. So you show them, say, these, these tickets. You're showing them the value associated with these tickets, and that's going to change their recognition then of how to go about influencing those events. You, and so really what's happening is you're teaching them, but they're also teaching you because they're going to say to you, all right, great, well, you've shown me this. Now I need to show you X so that you can help me continue to do this task. It's really a symbiotic relationship, and that's not something that's really been explored in magic very much. Yeah. Um, you see it somewhat explored in William S. Burroughs' writing. Yeah, definitely. I was actually going to say that. <laughs> yeah. You don't really see it explored in magic itself. Um, and, and the closest really that I would say it's been explored is, is, is really been, uh, you know, to some degree in, in the co-written book that I wrote years ago, Creating Magical Entities with David Michael Cunningham and Amanda Wagner, and also to some degree in some of my later works. But most, uh, mostly what you end up seeing is... Uh, are two different perspectives about entities. You have the, the classical approach, which is these entities are to be feared, so you better call on angels and command them and force them to do what you want, and you can't let them outside the circle, or they're going to really fuck with you. <laughs> or the psychological approach. There's not really a, a symbiotic or a, a let's develop a partnership or friendship here type type approach. And some people might say, well, that's a pretty dangerous way to go about it. Well, I'll tell you. You win more, you know, the saying that you win more, uh, you win more bees with honey or you win more, you win whatever it is with more honey is very true. The fact of the matter is, is that when I've, I've chosen to work with entities in a way that where I've respected them, I've gotten a lot more mileage out of that relationship yeah. than I would if I were to go and command them and say, I'm going to call on these angels and force you to do X. Yeah. I mean, who wants, really, do you, do you really want somebody threatening you with a, a weapon and saying, yeah, you're going to do X because I've got a gun pointed at your head. Well, you, you'll do it because you have to do it, but the moment that you get out of that situation and you can turn that situation around, you're going to find a way to turn it around because yeah. you don't want to be in that situation in the first place. It's the same with, with entities. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you read about that a lot as well, don't you, in certain like kind of magical journals generally. You seem to see like people seem to have some success kind of... Uh, conjuring up something and uh getting it to do its bidding for use of a better word and like all of a sudden they have a really bad experience afterwards and you ma it makes you think hmm, oh exactly what you said there you know like if you try and force something to do something it's it's more likely to uh, come back and bite you in the ass a bit <laughs> afterwards sort of thing it will at some point because it, it may not happen right away but i guarantee you that if you that if it, if said entity got a chance it, it will find a way to get to you and it, it has the rest of your life to do it and then some yeah exactly yeah um one thing actually i mean i was kind of alluding to it earlier on which is we haven't really like discussed chaos magic at all on the show um and i'm kind of uh, uh you know a bit of a noob <laughs> for use of a better word when it comes to it um what what makes chaos magic different in the in actual terms? I mean, if you were like, I know you said earlier on you didn't really want to kind of, um, it's really hard to kind of define it. But if you had to kind of just throw a loose definition <laughs> out there, how would you uh, define it loosely? Well, I would, uh, again, I'd kind of define it one by the, the practices that are traditionally associated with it, yeah, making sigils and entities. Yeah, that's it. And 
too, by the paradigmal piracy, the ability to take different systems of belief and attach those to a, a religious paradigm or, or, or a, a magical paradigm. A good example of, of chaos magic might be along the lines of, you know, you decide you're going to roll a, a die for each day and you choose to work with a particular god, uh, uh, you know, that the number represents. So you might work with Kali one day, you might work with, um, you know, Zeus the next day, you might work with Jehovah mm. the day after. Chaos magic, kind of the way that I look at chaos magic, is that it's a, it's it's a system of magic based based on teaching people to be more flexible with 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 spiritual practices and you being able to use resources on hand instead of having to have a a sword, you know, being able to maybe come up with something, you know, on hand that will work for you really really quick, yeah. you know. And again, so so that's that's pretty much what it that's pretty much what it seems to be. And you know, some people would probably argue again that 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 some of the stuff that I do is chaos magic. I'm not inclined to agree, but that's because I don't really see my stuff as as being rooted in chaos magic. It draws on some of the concepts, but it also draws on a lot more. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess um, if people read the work a bit more, they probably realize that <laughs> in some cases, if you're kind of just talking generally. But the, the next thing I was going to ask you actually was, um, you do these kind of seminars, but which are kind of outside of that kind of world, um, where you kind of, is it like motivational speaking or some kind of, I was looking at your website earlier on, it's some kind of, uh, I think it's called Imagine Your Own Reality or something. Can you tell us a little Imagine bit about Your that? Reality Life Coaching? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a life coaching pra- that's my life coaching practice, and that's basically one of those cases where I'm, I'm building a practice around um, helping people, helping creative entrepreneurs get connected to they're great clients, and so it is. It's a decidedly different focus than. It, it's basically focused on showing people who have no conception of magic how to get focused on goals and use processes to realize those goals. Sometimes working with internal resources, sometimes just being more aware of the external resources around them. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And do, I mean, do, are these seminars you offer, you know, to the general public kind of thing, and people can go along to them, or is it like a kind of one-on-one kind of uh, approach? Some of it's one-on, some of it's one-on-one, some of it's teleclasses, some of it's uh, some of it's seminars to a, a large group of people. It's something I've only been doing for the last few months, so it's I'm still in the process of defining and growing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're going to go to a break now, but after that, we're going to come back and discuss some of your books because you've got some really interesting titles. I want to kind of go over with you there. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're going to play a song by Mr. Bungle. It's a live recording. Uh, it's called Mamishka Mouse Squad, and uh, we'll be back after that. Opening the door to the unknown. Listener feedback. Really looking forward to the new episodes, so keep up with your work, guys. Thanks. Interviews. There's so many movies, so many documentaries, even books that come out that have factual information in it that maybe, you know, this is a gradual way of of kind of educating the public as to what's going on. Visit Erie Radio at www.erieradio.com. Oh, 
Excuse me, I've got some information I'd like to share with you. Did you know that 26 billion pickles are packed each year in the U.S.? That's about 9 pounds of pickles per person. More than half the cucumbers grown in the U.S. are made into pickles. Hey, pickle boy, let's talk pickles. The Podcast Pickle, that is. The Podcast Pickle is your resource for all the latest and greatest podcasts found in cyberspace with thousands of podcasts listed and more added every day. Here's some of the podcasts that you'll find at podcastpickle.com. <laughs> Geek Foo Action Grip. Beachcast. Comic Geek Speak. Speechless. Mad Cane. This Week in Tech. Warren Town Talk. NASCAR Zone. Shelly the Republican. A Voice from Eden. Jimmy McBean. Five Minutes with Wichita. Cinema Playground. Offbeat. The Logo Factory. The Sandy Warriors. Exit 50. This and That with Jeff and Pat. Thoughts on Psychiatry. Web Hosting Show. Merlin from Berlin. Random Cast. Jazz with Tiger. American Road Trip Show. The Drew M Podcast. The Slam Idol Podcast. Forgotten Tales. The Zencast. XboxStation.net. How to Do Stuff. <laughs> Now, Pickle has a whole new meaning. PodcastPickle.com, the world's best podcast directory. So, uh, the, the practice of magic, it, you know, you have, you have your ceremonial magician, sword, staff, athame, all that stuff, you know, that's, those are tools that the ceremonial magician uses to get in touch with, ma- you know, with the magical forces she or he's working with. With a chaos magician, you could use a piece of chalk and scrawl a sigil or a symbol on a sidewalk and use that. Or you might use, uh, you know, you might use other, other things such as a, a board game. I, I use a, a Ouija board with a, uh, a symbol scrawled on top of it, for instance, for my invocations and evocations, and use that, that Ouija board as a, as a gateway. Uh, 
I also use paintings as part of my tools. I'll do a painting and that painting will represent an entity or it'll represent a force in my life that I want to work with, an emotion, something like that. And I'll use that painting as that, as that focus. Yeah. Um, you could do another thing where, say, you want to work with a neurotransmitter. You, do, you develop a meditation where you go inside your body, you find the neurotransmitter, you give it a symbol, and you use that symbol every time you want to work with the neurotransmitter. And then, of course, you can take something like uh, from other disciplines, like a pre-writing exercise for an English class, hmm. a spider web. You have the central bubble, and you have your, your symbol on that central bubble, which represents you. And then you have other bubbles, and those other bubbles have other symbols, and those symbols represent different issues in your life. They can represent people, situations, bad habits, whatever. And, you know, cut away the bad habits and the people you don't want in your life anymore and the situations, and, you, and then you color the rest of those situations with crayons or whatever, and you use that as a way to sort of impress onto your mind what it is you want to keep and what it is you don't want to keep. I've used that technique before to help me not only get clear on what I need to do with my life, but also get rid of the influences I don't need. So you can use a, it really comes right down to being creative Yeah. and using the resources you have around you. Yeah, it sounds but, pretty cool, actually. I really like the idea of this. Um, it's, it's something I haven't really kind of looked into. I kind of heard of Chaos Magic, but never really kind of, uh, I know you, you don't <laughs> like to school what you do Chaos Magic, but... It's, it sounds, seems like a kind of productive way of uh, doing magic, I suppose, like the uh, this idea of drawing from all these different traditions and, uh, you know, and your own personal, like, is it, would you say there's like, you can kind of create your own versions of magic almost? Well, that's what I've done. I mean, I've, I've created or helped create a number of, of different systems. Um, my friend Storm uh, Constantine wrote, wrote the series Raythu and uh, she and I and a few others developed a system of magic around that called Dahara, yeah. which worked the different god forms for that series, and we've had some very real effects from that. And then, uh, you know, I've I've developed uh, a system of internal magic, which works with neurotransmitters and cells and things like that with the body to keep the body healthy. And I've developed uh, some different practices for space-time magic and, and multimedia magic and pop culture magic. So it's, it's entirely possible to develop your own systems. The one thing I'll emphasize with that, though, is that you do need to have a good background, a good foundation in magic itself. You know, yeah. I, I had been practicing you know, ceremonial magic and, and neo-shamanism and some chaos magic. You know, I've been doing that for about eight or so years before I really developed my own systems. So I think you need to have some experience in doing what other people have done before you develop your own yeah. things because that's going to teach you kind of, okay, this is what this concept represents and if I use X tool with that concept, this is the result I'll get. Yeah. Yeah, that so makes sense. That it's makes... important to emphasize that. But yeah, that's that's the beauty of magic is that you can create your own system if you know enough of what you're doing. I guess it's kind of like um, that same principle applies to quite a lot of things. I mean, for example, like martial arts, I think like you wouldn't just kind of create your own martial art without knowing some kind of other martial art first sort of thing to kind of base it on, I guess. It's kind of, um, that kind of makes sense. One thing actually, before we kind of go into your, uh, your writings, uh, one thing I was kind of interested in talking to you about, which I have no idea, it pops up whenever I read certain types of books. I've noticed that in one of your uh, chapters in one of your books, you talk about it, which is the, I think it's TAZ, the Temporary Autonomous Zone. Uh, could you explain yeah, what that is? 
Well, Temporary Autonomous Zone was developed by a guy named Hakeem Bey, a.k.a. Peter Lamborn. And uh, the concept is basically creating a, a temporary space where there are different rules. Uh, a good example of this would be Burning Man or any festivals or moots or things like that that people go to. And in those spaces, you're creating a... A, a zone where there's a different consensual reality outside of the mainstream reality. And I found, uh, I've always found the TAS really interesting in terms of looking at it as a way of explaining sacred space. You know, when you mm. create your circle and you set up, you know, your space for practicing magic, you're essentially creating a TAS with wherein you have different rules of reality for that space as opposed to the space outside of it which is still part of mainstream culture and society and all the other stuff that goes with it and uh, I, I think that the concept of Taz is really useful in terms of exploring those of exploring the idea of you know setting up your own space and being able to develop some autonomy from regular reality as a result yeah now, we don't have anything like Burning Man here, really. It's, it's annoying. It seems like a really good idea. I've never actually... I've only seen it as, like, an outsider looking at websites, really. Have you actually been to a, a Burning Man yourself, or...? I've never been to Burning Man, but I've been to Starwood and some of the other different festivals, and so it's it's a pretty similar experience from yeah. what I've told, although Burning Man does have its own energy, apparently. Yeah, I, I mean, Starwood's another one. I'm, I'm hoping to go next year to Starwood, and the first one ever. That just seems like really cool isn't it is it brushwood isn't it where they do the subgenius um uh x days yeah. and stuff like that it's, is it it's, a, it's basically like a kind of mashup of different things isn't it by the sounds of it it's like a all these different cool people come and kind of talk at this big festival in a big pagan ground i don't know could you explain a bit about starwood because like that's something i've always wanted to kind of go to <laughs> it's um yeah it's it's pretty much a mishmash of of different events it's sponsored by ace and uh that's you know, uh, focusing on uh, consciousness expansion. So they they try to draw on not just like pagan stuff, but also just people who are focusing on developing different approaches to consciousness. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a big party. I haven't been to it in a few years, but it's definitely something worth going to. Yeah, um, it's uh, Ivan Stang, we, we had on the show a few well, quite a few episodes ago now we're saying that it's like basically what kind of inspired him to do x day so it must be pretty good I mean, <laughs> if it's oh like, yeah yeah no, that's kind of cool um before we actually another thing quick i was going to talk about before we kind of go on to your books um was would you agree that there's a kind of resurgence in interest in magic and the occult generally at the moment it seems i don't know if it's just something i've noticed or uh or maybe it's always been there but i've noticed there's a lot more people seem to be getting into like for example crowley or you know the kind of uh just buying but there seems to be a lot more books available and generally people are kind of uh incorporating these kind of practices into their lives would you agree with that i don't know um i think i think there's some truth to that i think there's there's more interest as a result of uh, you know the internet yeah things because when you have more access to information people can find more can can get an opportunity to to learn about it it's 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 interesting to see because I think there's 
there's more of an occult scene in a way, and a lot of a lot of focus on the image of being an occultist. I'm not always sure that there's as much focus on the actual practice of magic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, you know, that's that's an important distinction to make. So yeah, I'd say it's more prevalent. I just I don't know if if that prevalence is necessarily a good thing, um, or if it's really producing, or if it's really producing people who are more aware of of what they're doing, because I think. Uh, even though you have access to a lot of that stuff, the motivations that bring people to magic usually are based around trying to establish a sense of empowerment in environments where they nece don't necessarily feel empowered. And although that's that's always that's that can be a good thing, it can also have its its darker side to it, and you can see that sometimes in a lot of the the dramatics and and yeah. stuff that a lot of the occult people get involved in. I think one thing that I, I find interesting is that there is there there is uh, in this resurgence, you know, also a focus on alternative technologies and uh, approaches to living. Uh, an event I'll be doing later this year in October uh, called Essa Zone, which is uh, a festival about the other tomorrow. It's in Portland, Oregon. Mm. is is focused on you know this concept of the other tomorrow and alternative technologies it's also focused on magic but it's really trying to look at you know where what is the other tomorrow what is the you know what is it what is the tomorrow that we're defining with our actions and our philosophies and things like that and i think that'll be a it'll be a really interesting event and it's i i see that as as a result of that resurgence as well you know some some more interesting approaches to not just uh not just magic, but to culture as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, where I work at the moment, I'm working over the summer, and I'm working at a um, academic uh, institution that looks at new religious movements, and it includes kind of esoteric, esoteric rather music uh, movements. And uh, completely agree with what you just said there. I mean, it seems that the there's a lot of groups appearing uh, that seem to be actually quite successful, but don't seem to actually. Uh, they seem to kind of use the occult look, <laughs> almost the kind of uh, they seem to kind of try and draw from the subculture but they actually don't really seem to um what's the word they don't really seem to kind of actually be in a cult group <laughs> if you know what i mean they just seem to kind well, of there's a yeah. there's a lot of glamour associated with occultism i mean you 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 get the the whole thing of oh if if i look this way i'll be really cool because people will think i'm mysterious or whatever and i'm doing all this mystical woo woo stuff and <laughs> A lot of these people don't realize that the work is is a lot harder than that, or or they'll get involved in it because they think they'll get laid. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know, they think they'll they'll get involved in these magical groups, and they they'll think that you know they'll get they'll meet you know people who will be into all kinds of you know sexual magical practices and orgies and all of that, and, and <laughs> yeah, they don't always realize that. The truth is that most magical groups aren't necessarily focused on sexual practices as as a form of magic. There, you know, some some are, but even then, it's it's done under a controlled environment and in a way that's very. It's not just a wild orgy. Yeah, they might be better off going to you know trying to find their local swinger club or, yeah. or fetish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I spoke to some guy recently that joined. I think it's called Amok. You know, the Rosicrucian. Um, of the more modern version i guess of the rosicrucians and uh he was uh he was really disappointed by a the amount of time it took to kind of 
actually get anything achieved i guess you know within you know the workings and uh also the fact that he really really was desperate to get laid and um, really had no luck whatsoever because i think it was a bit of a disappointment to him i think that's perfect a perfect example i mean a lot of people do think that I, I, would you say that's in some way the media's fault because whenever you really see the occult it's always on something like the x-files or something like that where the the occult's kind of it's usually you know you see like a film maybe like an old 70s film where there's these huge orgies and they call up satan or something and i think some people think that that's what it's going to be like with every kind of occult group there <laughs> i don't know if you agree with that but that's certainly something i've seen quite a lot of well when you have you have shows like buffy the vampire slayer yeah. <laughs> you know some of these other things yeah i, I or, or charmed or or the that 70s flick you mentioned or whatever else yeah, I mean there there there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, glamour associated. I mean, I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, you know, I read fantasy books and how I always wanted to toss a fireball. Well, there's you know again there's this the that kind of stereotype in some ways that goes with magic, and you see you see that in a lot of media representations. And again, I think that's that sometimes what draws people because then they think, oh well, you know here's this Buffy show and then this this one woman's going around flying around tossing spells and doing all kinds of stuff and hey I want I want some of that power yeah and they get into it they realize oh it's not quite like that (laughs) and they get disappointed or whatever else you know and 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 again too there's there's these these kind of uh, you know there's there's this kind of sensationalistic approach sometimes too, even you know, even in occultism itself with some of the, the different occultists. You know, Crowley's a good example of this. Yeah, and you see it <laughs> I was about to say well that. with a few others where 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 the focus is really on oh oh look at look at all those wild exploits that person did. I'm going to be just like that person. Yeah. And what people don't realize is that like like with Crowley, for example, he had two fortunes to blow through. Yeah. He. <laughs> afford to live a lifestyle that most of us won't necessarily get access to yeah and uh, you know you kind of have to question whether that's a really really a good role model yeah yeah definitely for magic i i I don't think that crowley is i think unfortunately he's one of the only very visible role models that we have but i don't think he's a good role model for occultism because i i think he could be if he was balanced by other role models that represented Mm other other approaches or other lifestyles that that occur but i think as it is now he's not a very healthy role model for us but and, would you and say, that's would you say that's a partially to do with the way he's kind of represented though i mean uh, whenever i mean before i kind of really looked into crowley um or ever heard of him were kind of media lies i suppose so people were like oh he bit the heads off bats you know he killed people and all this sort of stuff and he would all he did was have wild orgies but i mean yeah fair enough Crowley's not a good role model but in some ways he did bring quite a lot of the the magical traditions to to light in a way that we may not have ever sort of seen them if that makes sense <laughs> so I mean, well, I, I, he, a lot of people don't realize got, that <laughs> he's got a lot of notoriety to him but mm. and, and the problem is that when the media focuses on him they had this recent film the alchemical wedding yeah oh, they yeah. focus on the notoriety they don't focus on the fact that yeah. he brought a lot of, oh, that of film. things about magic to light i mean you know, credit is credit due to Crowley. Yes, he did a lot to bring magic more to light, but you don't see a lot of focus on that. Mm. And the other problem too is that what you you also don't see is you don't see a focus on some of the other magicians that either wrote around his time or before his time or right after his time that had mm. that also did a lot. 
yeah. to bring magic to light. And so it's kind of one of those cases where where we, what you see even within occultism is, yeah, you know, let's acknowledge Crowley, but let's not forget who these other people were and what they had to offer. Yeah, I wish that and there was more I, yeah. of an emphasis on like Alan Bennett or um, maybe even like Israel Regardi. They, they're no, in no way kind of... Uh, they don't get the kind of uh, credit they should do i don't think you know some of these people that bring up you know they're not necessarily people that have been around crowley even you know people that are kind of um they have these great influences on really when you i guess when you become more into magic you kind of pick up on these people but it would be much better to have them more in the forefront for people to see from the beginning i think that's kind of uh i guess that's what you're getting at slightly there as well but it's it's it is annoying (laughs) to say the least It, it it really it really depends i i find because you know you have you have some people who will get exposure to more of these names as time goes on and then at the same time i've talked to people who practice magic 10 20 30 40 years who haven't heard of Franz Barden or William G. Gray or Julius Avola, and I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, you're you're people who've been practicing for a long time. Why why haven't you developed the the curiosity? Yeah, I to that- find out about these practices and. You might have answered your own question there, though, is... in some ways, though, because I think uh, when people do get into magic, they get se- kind of segregated. I mean, uh, I guess this is why I like the idea of chaos magic, actually, because when people do get into magic, a lot of the times they tend to stay within a certain group or a certain mindset. And um, maybe they didn't get into the or discover these other people because they were kind of had blinkers on almost, you know, like kind of uh, magical blinkers, for use of a better word. And um maybe they just didn't see it whereas i like i'm saying with the kind of stuff you're doing it's kind of more interesting because it's, it incorporates lots of different styles and maybe more people should go for that approach <laughs> I don't know. well that's 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 one of my goals is really to promote the work of of occultists that aren't as well known um and and also to promote the work of of people that are writing now uh one of the reasons why i i make an active practice out of citing different texts is to you know, raise reader awareness about some of these different authors. I was really pleased when I found out recently that Weiser finally decided to uh, reprint some of William G. Gray's work because one of the uh, people who has uh, ownership rights to his uh, to his work decided to put it back into print. I don't know how much of the fact that I cited his work contributed to that. It may not have at all, but if it did, I'm really pleased because he had some really interesting ideas uh, he i kind of see him as the uh, as the grandfather of chaos magic in some ways along with spare because he took concepts of ceremon- ceremonial magic and broke them down and said all right you're working with the staff now take that the symbol the symbol of the staff and bring that inside of you and focus on developing a connection with the the, the symbolism of the staff and the concept of the staff so that you can actually take that concept and if you didn't have a staff on hand be able to use it yeah yeah you know and his concepts of zero and uh of space-time magic i mean he was writing about space-time magic back in the 1970s you know long before most other people were and you know this is you know it's amazing stuff that a lot of people don't know about so so my goal is as somebody who you know i work at a manian press i i do the i manage the nonfiction line is one to put into print edgier books and you know get different perspectives out there other than what's known in the occult mainstream yeah and also really draw attention to some of these lesser known authors and say there's something here that you really ought to look at yeah 
I mean, you showed me that uh, you gave me the link to that website earlier on, which is the kind of the other stuff printed on that label. And I'd never heard of some of these people, but I'm definitely going to check it out. I think that's actually really important. I mean, um, the occult definitely, I mean, with occult writings, especially there's a kind of snobbery. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I, I think there is. There's a kind of, you know, you have to read this book or you have to read this book. And, there, you know, any other stuff is kind of ancillary to that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's, there just seems to me, at least, to be this kind of, it, it, it's it's not accessible enough the uh the magical world in some ways you know you're always told oh read crowley but then you read crowley and a lot of the time it's not the easiest thing to read and it kind of puts a lot of people off i think whereas if you know some of the stuff i've seen in your site seems definitely to be more accessible at least i don't know if you'd again if you'd agree with that <laughs> well yeah i i think there is a lot of snobbery i uh i actually got in a debate with somebody who who argued that Crowley's writing is, is really elegant and all this other stuff. And I, I didn't agree with that. I, I don't even think his definition of magic is, is all that tight, honestly. <laughs> so it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's other people out there. Mm. And, and, and really, that's what I try to do is when people say, well, you know, I've read Crowley. Uh, I'll be like, well, have you read XX and X? Uh, I've never even heard of them. Well, I'll be like, all right, go here, here, and here and start reading those works and see what you think after that. Yeah, and they'll come back to me a few months later, and they'll be like, "Wow, my perspective on magic has really changed because these guys explained it a, a bit more clearly." Yeah, yeah. Now, again, you know, Crowley does have some good things to say about magic. He has some definite approaches that are useful to learn about, but he's not the definitive authority. He's not the only person that people should read. And there is that snobbery in place that, well, you've got to read Crowley, or you've got to read X, or you've got to read this person, and. Yeah. You know, for me, I just don't, I don't see the value in that. I, I think that if you're going to practice, if you're really serious about practicing magic and you want to, and you want to focus on one particular style hermeticism, it's still on you to read as many different authors as possible about that particular, that particular practice. And, you know, if, uh, you want to get into chaos magic, don't just read Peter Carroll or, or Phil Hine. Yeah. Read the other people that you know have written about chaos magic you know there's you know like julian vane read fi find out who else has written about this stuff explore and and don't just settle for the the big names because if you settle for the big names you're not getting the entire perspective mm -hmm. and at that point your practice your practice is stagnating and that's really the the problem with the the occult snobbery that occurs yeah. is that you know, people stagnate in their practices. When somebody tells me, well, uh, you know, uh, somebody was telling me once recently, well, you know, you don't have, you don't have a good grasp of occult history because I don't share the same perspective on Crowley that this person is. I'm like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know who these other authors are. I've read their works. I think I have a better grasp of occult history because I'm not focusing on just one author and his contribution. I'm focusing on all of them. Yeah, that's definitely a good a good way of doing it. Well, um, I think we should perhaps look at some of your books that you have produced. I mean, the first one that really grabbed my attention was the 2004 one, uh, Pop Culture Magic. So, how did the, one thing I've noticed with all your titles actually, there's certain there seems to be kind of a more modern approach to magic. I mean, I'm guessing that's kind of what this is about in some ways. But could you explain to us what pop pop culture magic is? Yeah, I'm actually. It's actually gone in. It's it's actually uh, gone into reprint. Uh, this year, it's coming out oh, again, yeah. revised version. Pop culture magic is about integrating popular culture into magical practices. 
in popular, how I define popular culture ultimately is that each person determines what pop culture is for them. Because, for instance, I don't live over in the UK. You guys do. Yeah. You guys are going to have a different perspective on pop culture than I will. I'm yeah. an American. I my my uh, my experiences are filtered through American culture. So there's there are, there are going to be differences there. So right off the bat, I don't try to define pop culture as you know, my own perspective, my my focus is on use whatever you think of as pop culture. For some people, pop culture could be the Three Stooges. Yeah. You know, other people will be like, oh, I don't know what that is, but they'll know what Japanese anime is. And and, and how pop culture works is, is I, I, I take a couple different approaches. One, you know, you look at these different characters, these like Superman or Batman or Buffy or, or whatever else, these characters have come to represent our, our, our modern archetypes. They're, they're new faces on the gods they and demons. They represent those gods and demons in, in new ways. And, and what they really offer is a new way to work with those gods and demons through a modern cultural mindset. Yeah. And I think that's really important because I don't, I, I, at least in America, I can't really say for you guys in the UK, but in America there's not... There's a real disconnect from from the heritage, uh, you know, cultural heritage that we have. You know, the U.S. has been around for the last oh, 250 years at this point, hmm. not a long time. And if you go back with the colonies, maybe another 200, another additional 100, maybe 200 years. So that's not a long time. 400 years on a continent, and there's not a lot of cultural heritage there. I mean, there's there's some, but you go over to Europe, for instance, you're you're going to have a lot, a much deeper connection to cultural heritage because people have been living there for so long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the only people over here who have a deeper connection to a, a cultural heritage are the Native Americans and, uh, you know, given uh, the uh, practices of the U.S. government, and even that's kind of suspect at this point. Yeah. But um, getting back to the matter at hand, I, I look at pop culture as a way to sort of rectify that. I when I got into magical practices, one of the like with ceremonial practice, in particular one of the thing one of the conflicts I encountered early on was that I I, I didn't really have uh, I didn't really feel connected to Judeo Christianity. Hmm. I didn't feel it really represented my culture. At the same time, I could say yeah I have a background of being Norwegian, but that doesn't really connect me to the Norse gods that much. <laughs> if I did, if 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 I chose to get into a a, a spiritual practice. And focused on them a lot, I might get that connection at some point and, and feel like I had a really deep connection, you know, especially if I tried to learn the language. Mm. But that's the thing, is that I don't speak Norse, yeah. you know, the old Norwegian language. So, uh, you know, if I'm working with these gods and I'm working with them in English and I'm even working with the runes, I'm, I'm not going to have the same cultural connection that even somebody speaking modern-day Norwegian will have with those gods. Yeah. Even though modern-day Norwegian is different from, you know, the no modern-day Norwegian language is different from the old, you know, the Norse, the original Norse language, there's still more of a cultural connection there mm. than I would have. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think is sometimes forgotten when people get into particular beliefs. Now, we look at pop culture, well, I have a connection to those, to popular culture. Most of the pop culture that I'm, I'm exposed to, the, the language is, is my language. I have a, an understanding that's, that's fairly instinctive. I don't have to do a lot of explanation about it. 
You know, I, I know who Superman is or who Batman is. So I can choose to work with Batman as an entity that represents maybe a god of fear or a god of detectives or whatever it is that I want to work with yeah. with him. And, and that's going to be a very viable cultural force for me because I have that connection to Batman that I might not have to one of those older gods. The, the other aspect with uh, pop culture is that, say, say you want to develop a, a, a magical system around pop culture. I think it's entirely possible to do. As I mentioned earlier, Storm Constantine and I developed a system around uh, the fantasy series Raytheo. Mm. You know, we, had, we, developed some, we developed some gods. We did path workings to find these gods, which are called Dahara. And then we developed a, uh, a wheel for the year where we celebrated, you know, particular holidays for those with those gods and developed some meditation practices that focused around those gods and some other different magical practices where those gods could be worked with to assist, you know, for banishment or protection or thing or healing. Hmm. And so we, we created a magical system that was based on ceremonial magic but at the same time took these these modern, this popular culture, and substituted it for the, uh, the uh, you know, the traditional uh, references that would be used. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We're, I was going to actually mention we're also uh, coming out with a uh, pop culture grimoire. It's an anthology uh, in October, hmm. which represents some different pop culture magic practices uh, from other other people, oh, and cool. uh, that coming out in uh, October from Emanian. Oh, excellent. That's cool. I mean, you, you were talking about it earlier. The next one I wanted to ask you about was uh, space-time magic. Could you explain kind of what space-time magic is? Well, space-time magic is uh, my own explorations into the concepts of manipulating space and time uh, to achieve, you know, to, to bring possibilities into reality. And my interest out of it came partially from reading Peter, Peter Carroll's works on space-time magic and reading William G. Gray's works on, on space-time magic and seeing that there weren't really too many other uh, occult works focused on space-time. But then also looking at, for instance, how you read comic books. Mm. If you've read uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, he explains that how you read comics, you know, you have panels set up. And you have a space in between the comet in between each panel, and that's called the gutter. Yeah, the gutter. Well, I thought that was a, a really interesting aspect because he was explaining how comics are read non-linearly, and I thought, hey, I could take that and turn it into a magical technique. Mm. I was going to say quickly, did you uh, have you seen uh, Douglas Rushkoff's comics recently, Testament? I think they're called. That he kind of explores that space between the panels. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting way of uh, of looking at that kind of you know without the gutter kind of thing. <laughs> No, I haven't. I'll have to look into that. I'll have to uh, check that out. It yeah, sounds interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Basically, there's kind of like a um, <clears throat> the way he does it is, is a divide between the what's in the panels and what's outside of the panels, and he basically has kind of gods. It's it's basically like a reworking of the Bible in some ways. It's really strange. And like inside the panels, there's a kind of linear storyline, and outside of the panels, there you kind of see um, the kind of gods working or the demons, whatever, working. <laughs> and whenever they kind of cross into the panel, it kind of be it's really interesting. You should check it out. It's a really weird and interesting way of looking at comics. But sorry, that just, that just popped into my mind whilst you were talking about it. It sounds like something that would really, really interest me. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, spa space-time magic came out of that. I also developed some uh, meditation techniques. And uh, for, I took some concepts from comics. There was a really interesting... Uh, 
comic a while back called X-Men, and Warren Ellis was the writer at the time, and he had this concept that the worlds were uh, a DNA, s that, that the Earth was, uh, you know, one segment of a DNA spiral of a variety of different Earths, and I took that concept and used that as a meditational path working to uh, get in touch with different possibilities uh, and bring those possibilities in, into reality. And there's a bunch of other techniques. The, the focus really is showing how people how to uh, take concepts of space-time and linear time and nonlinear time and, and manipulate them. I'm currently working on the sequel, and, and the sequel is foca focusing a lot more on uh, memory and on actor techniques of, of memory, using, creating, for instance, in your mind, a, a palace, and each room in the palace representing a different, holding a different memory and being able to access that memory and, and use that memory to uh, bring, your, bring that memory into uh, reality. And I'm, I'm using that uh, right now and exploring also the, concepts, the concept of space and then time in a as a, a separate concepts and kind of looking at how those two got put together. Also looking at the uh, role of imagination in memory and space-time. All right, cool. Uh, the other one I was kind of interested in, um, I think... I you might have spoken about this a bit on the Viking youth shows, um, which was uh, kink magic. I think you wrote that with your wife, Lupa. Yes. So, uh, could you explain kind of what is it? Kind of uh, is it? Yeah, I'll let you explain <laughs> what kink magic is. It's um, it, it it's sex magic. It's uh, a combination. That it, it's really looking at how sex magic can be combined with BDSM. Ah, cool. Excellent. And uh, how you can use BDSM in a sex magic setting to you know effectively channel this the energy and and produce the results that you want uh we we kind of divide it up into practical magic and internal work or metamorphic magic as my wife likes to call internal work yeah uh you know the internal work focusing on changing you know uh your personality or, or working through some bad habits and the practical work focusing on generating a change in external reality that lines up with something that you you need to have happen Oh, that's cool. I mean, uh, is this to do with the uh, is it top and bottom kind of approach? Well, you got you got some topping and bottoming. That's it, top you know, and we bottoming, yeah. explore those <laughs> we explore those concepts and also you know uh, concepts of of DS, you know, uh, submission and dominance and how those can be used in magical practices. Excellent, cool. I think we'll probably talk to Looper about because we're gonna have Looper on the show soon, so we'll probably uh, talk to her about this kind of stuff because she's. Uh, I've heard her talk about it before, and she's really kind of kind of uh, clued in with all this kind of stuff. It was really uh, that full interview was really good on the Viking Youth uh, Power Hour show. That was really cool. But the other one I really want to talk to you about actually was this. Uh, you sent me some stuff to read about it. Actually, was the multimedia magic, which I found really interesting. I mean, um, obviously, not everyone's probably read what I've read. So, could you give people an overview of what multimedia magic is? Well, multimedia magic is uh, a couple different things. One, it's it's uh, revisions of some articles I've written over the years, um, which have focused on invocation and evocation. Uh, it's it focuses on uh, definitions of magic and on uh, symbolism and magic and you know how symbolism is used in magic and also recognizing the danger of not of of not just the danger of focusing on symbolism to the point where y you mistake that as the only form of magic. Mm. You know, magic is about symbolism. It's that's not always the case. Kind of that similar to that danger of psychology and in magic, uh, and, and and a lot of uh, focus as well on um, different forms of media such as clothing, 
television, uh, the internet, etc., corporate culture, and how that can be integrated into magical practice. I sort of see it as a uh, a sequel to pop culture magic. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Well, um, we're going to let you go because well, we've had you on the line for ages now. So uh, we it's okay. We can keep talking if you want. Oh, it's right. up well, to you. That's cool. We were talking about uh, how, you know, kind of magic generally and the occult, when you kind of uh, first approach it, I suppose, it's kind of snobby and, um, you know, it's really, I, I personally found when I first lo- started looking at magic, it was really difficult to kind of find a kind of any, you know, it's hard to find a ground in almost, you know, that there's no kind of access point unless you kind of know someone to tell you what that, what that access point is. I was going to say, could you recommend some kind of books that, that that some of our listeners could check out if they wanted to kind of, obviously apart from your own, um, that, you know, a kind of good kind of starting points or give them a good kind of almost like a 101 how to start doing magic kind of books? Because like, I keep asking people this and they kind of, you know, skirt around it or you know, they don't really tell me <laughs> the, the answer, I suppose. To... Yeah, I can, I can recommend a few. Mm. Um, one book I would recommend is The Four Powers by Nicholas Graham. It's a really good, he, what he does is he, uh, he draws on a, a ceremonial magic, voodoo, chaos magic, and a couple other different uh, approaches to magic and basically explains the general precepts for them and also provides exercises for the person to kind of get into those, in, into those practices. And he also recommends further books that they can uh, go and uh, read to get more information about them. I like it because it's a, uh, you know, it's a good introduction to different systems of magic, and it has some good exercises and, and some good references. Uh, another book that I would recommend uh, by uh, w- would probably be uh, Real Magic by Isaac Bonowitz. It's uh, a yeah. good book that explains how magic, uh, you know, explains the laws of magic. I don't necessarily always agree with Isaac about all of the, the rules of magic, but it's a, it's a good introduction. Uh, another book I would recommend would be uh, Franz Barden's uh, Initiation into Hermetics. That's a really good book that kind of explains how hermetics works, and again, he provides exercises. I would also recommend William G. Gray's uh, Magical Ritual Methods. He's a little dry, but he does a good job of explaining how ceremonial wor- magic works and also how to take it into the next level. It's still, still, it's a one-on-one book, but it is in some ways a bit more advanced. But it's, it's still something I would recommend. Let's see here. Um, I would say for Dallas practices, because I'm going to include that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Uh, by B.K. Francis, "Relaxing into Your Being." That's a really good book to read. It um, basically describes some breathing practices that people can do. And I, I would highly recommend that. And let's see here. I'm kind of looking through my uh, my library here. Yeah, that's what, what I do, Jeremy. <laughs> what else I recommend? I would recommend Lupa's book, uh, Fang and Fur, Blood and Bone, A Primal Guide to Animal Magic. That's a good introduction to animal magic. What is, actually, yeah, actually, that's a good one. To, if you can give us a quick overview, actually. Because mm-hmm. what is animal magic? This is something I really have very little knowledge about. and uh, I would quite Well, I, I think you should save that question for, for her. Yeah. <laughs> explanation than i will yeah but i i you know it's it's one of those things that i would i would recommend asking her uh let's see here is there anything else i'd really recommend as a a good beginner text um yes actually there is the magician's companion by bill whitcomb that's another one he does a good job of laying out the different magical systems and uh traditions and and the symbols that go with that 
Uh, actually, another a companion book to that that's coming out uh, from Amanian Press. It's it's a reprint. Is uh, magician the Magician's Reflection that'll be out in uh, September. I'm doing the layout for it right now, and that's really cool because it explains how to create a magical system. Ah, excellent. That's cool. Yeah, I think I mean whenever I've spoken to people that have kind of got into magic, the the <laughs> I don't know. I guess we have a lot of people that listen to this show that kind of have had this experience because I've spoken to them on email, which is everyone just says, "Oh, get." Uh, I'm just looking at what it's called now. Yeah, Magic in Theory and Practice, the Crowley book that will sort you out. That's the the perfect starting book. When I read that book, I had no idea <laughs> what the hell that he was talking about. So it's quite good to kind of have some new. Uh, new texts to go and pick up i think because it's just that snobbery again we were talking about earlier it's it's really really hard to kind of you walk into a shop that sells the kind of books you know these kind of books and often actually the staff can be quite (laughs) um they'll just recommend that book straight away and you're just like well that doesn't really teach me how to kind of do anything so you know it kind of put me off for quite a while and i think it puts a lot of people off actually i mean i personally like kind of like the way Crowley writes I find quite a lot of it actually quite funny which I think is another thing that gets overlooked with Crowley but um but I would have loved would have loved <laughs> to have found something that was a bit more kind of accessible and I think yeah well, I'll check out some of these titles you were saying about I oh I thought of two other titles for for you, cool. for you listeners <laughs> uh Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine which is a good introduction to chaos magic and then uh the Heretic's Guide to Thalema by Gerald Del Campo, which is a, a good introduction to ceremonial magic uh, via the Crowleyan current, but also driven toward the the first book in it, which is uh, New Aeon Magic, was something mm-hmm. he wrote years ago. We've reprinted it in it, and it was written for his children, and it was his way of explaining his beliefs and practices. He he wrote it for ended up writing it for a little bit broader of an audience, obviously, but that would be another good one to uh, include in your list there. I, I, I find really that, you know, yeah, uh, when people say, well, go to Crowley first, that, you know, I, I think what would help is include Crowley in that, but also include a list of others. I, I remember yeah. when I first read Crowley, I was actually 18 at the time or something like that, 17 or 18, and I read it and I got through it, but I was like, wow, this is really hard stuff. And I was <laughs> able to get some of the concepts, but I what you know, he wrote at a different time. He wrote in Victorian England. He does have a, a quirky sense of humor, which is I can appreciate, but it was harder to get into that than it was to get into some of the more modern stuff that was written, you know, in, in an approach that was maybe a little drier but more approachable. So I think that having a list of different books is always helpful. Yeah, definitely. And of course, of course, I, I I'll also say you know I'll also say hey, read my stuff, but that's a little more advanced, so you know. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, read, read it after you've uh, read some of those other initial books, and yeah. then you know, check uh, my stuff out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Well, thanks. I mean, I really appreciate you coming. I've really enjoyed this. Actually, it's been a really good interview. Um, I've actually learned quite a lot, <laughs> so that's always a good a good thing and we're definitely going to have you back on um and uh and your wife uh lupus so that should be quite cool um awesome yeah i I really appreciate you making time for for this and uh really appreciate the uh honor and opportunity to get interviewed oh no 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 it's a pleasure so we'll we'll definitely speak to you in the coming uh episodes definitely um uh, probably we'll uh, what i'd like to do is focus on some more of the uh more of the subjects in your book actually and you know like really go into some of the subjects so it'd be really cool to kind of have you on and you know and have you on in the future but yeah thanks a lot man i've really yeah i've enjoyed this like i said and uh yeah thanks thank you
All right, we're back. And uh, as you can tell, Paul, I've, I don't think I've heard such eloquent questions before, Paul. Yeah, it was, well, uh, I was I was very enthusiastic about the uh, the interview, but then uh, I think the uh, the guest was a bit uh, too much for me. The <laughs> subject is uh, too much of a beginner into the subject, and uh, not just a beginner, but also a bit of a skeptic. Yeah. And uh, this was more like an introduction to what the man does. Yeah. So there's, there was no point for me to uh, come up with uh, any skeptical questions. Yeah, I suppose so. But yeah, it's, uh, I've, I really enjoyed it. We're definitely going to have him back on. He's the, really the sound quality was very, very impressive. Yeah, it was really good for a change. And um, also, he was very concise yep. in the way he spoke, which is really good. He's really good at getting his point across, which uh, was really cool. And I'm looking forward to in We're interviewing his wife soon in a few weeks who, um, about animal magic and... Uh, the like so that's going to be cool you're going to be along for that yes i will her name's lupa so we're going to have her on scene um if you want to check out taylor i think did we talk about it in the interview i can't remember i don't think oh. we did um if you just google taylor elwood actually uh it's t-a-e-l no, i can't spell t-a-y-l-o-r-e-l-l-w-o-o-d um the best things i found were the, were, were what he wrote on blogs and uh mm for other websites yeah and live journal he's got a really yeah. good live journal account as well um but yeah no i really enjoyed that i think that was that's one of my favorite interviews actually i really enjoyed that he's a really nice guy and it was just interesting i learned a lot and uh yeah so we'll be back next week we're not quite sure who we've got two options for next week so uh, it all depends on a certain guest getting back to us that we're really psyched about as well um he's an author who i've mentioned a couple of times already someone we both like but uh, yeah, so and you're gonna have to read this book. You said it's sitting yes, in the we'll have to do. Well, <laughs> I will be a regular now. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or <laughs> if the listeners are going to be happy about it. But uh, I will be doing it from my own home. Well, hopefully, next as of the next episode, we'll have a bit of a block party. Yo, we'll have me, you, Jacob, and Claire. So that'd be quite cool. Or perhaps way. Raymond. Oh yeah, perhaps Raymond. Raymond's gonna drop in and out whenever. Uh, Actually, yeah, no, that'll be the next episode. Sorry, this is probably really boring for the listeners. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, the next episode was what this episode was going to be, which is going to be me and Raymond Wiley waxing about um, conspiracy theories. And, like, we're going to just talk about what it's like to be ensnared by the conspiracy theories at first. And then we're going to talk about three classic theories and uh, why people believe them and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Um so yeah, if you want to check us out on the web at HTTP, I've done it again. HTTP, no one types in HTTP, just sittingnow.co.uk. It's or not 1999, is no, it? No, no, <laughs> forward slash, blah, blah, forward slash, <laughs> I used to hate those old websites. But yeah, sittingnow.co.uk, uh, you can email me at, uh, at ken at sittingnow.co.uk. Well, my email is paul at sittingnow.co.uk, but... He actually checks it now, though. I do check it every day. Yeah, and still nothing comes. Still nothing. <laughs> It is uh, my main email address at the moment. That's uh, right. the one I'm using, yeah. You probably shouldn't have said that, because if any certain listeners hear that, they're going to uh, spam the hell out of it. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So yeah, thanks for listening. Um, we'll be a bit more co- coherent, I think, next week. Hopefully, I think we, we have, we're going to change the show up a bit. We're going to uh, add a few more features to it and a few new sounds. We're going to get a new intro, music, which is good, um, by our friend Nicky B. He's a really cool guy. Um... Plus, we're going to be adding a review section to the website. So we've, we've actually it's there already, but it doesn't have anything in it yet because we haven't had anything to review yet. But uh, 
Uh, we've got we're on review lists now. So if anyone out there wants things they can write uh, reviews, you can get, you can do it on our site and we'll give you free stuff because we get sent free stuff to review. So we'll send it off to you to review. Um, all you need to do is be fairly uh, quick with your reviews because we like to get them up fresh. And uh, yeah, well anyway, I'm just rambling now. So. <laughs> Uh, so you're going to be back next week, are you, Paul? Yes, I will be. Hopefully. Yeah. If there's no technical difficulty. Oh, no, surely I will be. <laughs> Unless there's a technical difficulty. Unless <laughs> there's a technical difficulty. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.